Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. And welcome back. I'm Housewife Regina. And this week we are going to have a couple little twists to the show. Uh, It is a listener request that actually just requested a particular person. But as I got into researching this particular person, I decided to do a show on the whole town because, yeah, you're getting ready to find out. And this week, instead of my ever-faithful companion, Evil, from 3B Video joining us, I have a good friend here, Charming Amy. Hey, everybody. And um, she has, she's here to lend her expertise in uh, one of the cases that the last one we're going to get to, because uh, she has a degree in, what is your degree in? I have uh, two degrees. I have one degree in family studies and human services and the other in geriatrics. So I'm sure study of mental illness and mental decline has been within these studies and degrees. Absolutely, I, I kind of figured. Uh, but before we kick off, uh, I wanted to say I noticed that we picked up some Canadian listeners in the Ontario, Quebec, I'm sorry if I totally said that wrong, and the Alberta region. So the Canadian listeners, welcome. Thank you for listening and your support, and I hope you enjoy the show. This week, we get into um, SIG uh, from my SIG is the first name that she has on there. I'm sure it's short for something, but she sent me a request asking, let's see if I can find what her request was. But okay, so she listened to the Wesley Perky case and she kind of wanted to challenge if I would still feel the same way in this case this last case we're going to discuss that happened in this town. Um, We'll get into her bringing up the challenge and everything. We'll get to that when we uh, get to that part of the story. So without further ado, let me pull up my notes here. And um, it looks like, okay, we are going to be doing, this is over the town of Skidmore, Missouri. So um, they are about an hour and a half north of Kansas City. There's approximately 250 people that live there, give or take a few. And this town has had quite the history. And it all kind of started with a guy named Ken Rex McElroy. So uh, Ken, he grew up poor throughout the 1930s and 40s, just outside Skidmore. He dropped out of school by the eighth grade and he was 18 when he was working for a construction site which actually there was like a job accident that left him severely injured with a head injury and chronic pain he would from this i don't know if like the pain or the head injury or whatever but uh, as he got older he would go on to basically be the town bully One of the residents was quoted as saying, I think that Ken simply wanted to be big and important and have people afraid of him when he walked down the street. (laughs) Hmm. And he got that. They were. End quote. So uh, I guess mission accomplished on that one. (laughs) So uh, he was a very large man, very robust, stocky, tall, um, and 
he was constantly in trouble with the law. And this is merely the tip of the iceberg, but he was in trouble for the law in with the law for stealing livestock, grain, alcohol, alcohol, antiques, and gasoline. So what did he do with the livestock once he stole it? Like he stole a calf and is like, I'm going to just keep this in my living room. I would think like if I'm going to steal a cow, I'm going to have a purpose for it. Like we're going to cut this up and have like cutlets or something. Like like you have to take it to like some sort of like, you know, butcher, you know, processing plan to do that. And they'd be like, where'd you get this cow? You know what? I found it on the side of the road. Right. Or I came into some money and bought a cow. So his attorney is named Richard Gene McFadden out of Kansas City. Uh, definitely earned his paycheck with Ken Rex McElroy. We're just going to call him Ken. Uh, he was indicted as many as 21 times for robbery, assaulting women, animal Jeez. cruelty, child molestation, wow. threat with intent, property destruction, and shooting two fucking people. Good Lord. Um, but he always managed to not get convicted except for one time. And we will get to that. McFadden did a good job keeping Ken out of jail, even if it meant Ken was threatening, uh, like threatening, threatening witnesses and intimidating witnesses uh, in cases that were brought against him. Even when police had reservations about trying to apprehend him, uh, if not because of his high-priced attorney, then because uh, he was the kind of man that was constantly armed, mm -hmm. like you could say armed and dangerous. So I mentioned two people getting shot, right? Right. Okay, so one of those two people, we will get to number two, but uh, was a local farmer named Romaine Henry. So in July of 1976, Romaine caught Ken trespassing on his property. When Romaine chased him off the property, Ken shot him in the stomach. Hmm. Then, uh, okay, so my notes skip... Oh, now I know why I said number two we'll get to because my notes skip from basically him shooting this guy to him raping girls. So, oh, fun. So <clears throat> he then rapes two minor girls and it's rumored he married both of them in an effort to keep them from testifying against him in those rape cases. He obviously liked younger girls, early teen young. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, I guess he liked them young because he could train them and beat them and groom them. And he, cause this guy's a grooming piece of shit to just, I can see him wanting a servant, a love servant. Right. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would take a wife and be respectful of her. Well, Trina McLeod is one of those rape victims and went on to be one of his three wives. Okay. Uh, she met Ken when she was 12 and he married her and had a baby with her by the time she was 14. Yuck. Not to mention, he has nine other children. So, uh, I don't know the baby he had with Trina where it is in the list of 10 kids. Like, if he had that, like, Trina's kid was right. his last kid. I'm not sure. But the dude's got 10 kids by a multitude of women. His wives, all three, he abused. Um... Actually, when he would be brought up on charges, they would downplay a lot of what happened. Like, he never beat me. Oh, he was a good man. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Uh, are, are they defending him? I always kind of wondered, are they defending him out of some sort of 
Stockholm syndrome or did they believe him and take him at his word that, you know, when he said he didn't do something? So like, it, it's, it feels to me like it's like a battered woman syndrome kind of thing where, you know, you, you know, you're afraid that if you do speak out against them, that they're going to retaliate against you. Right. Because like if I go to the cops and it's like he's doing this, he's beating me, he's this uh -huh. and he doesn't get arrested. I know damn well I'm probably going to die when he gets home. Right. And that's a story that's a song as old as time because mm -hmm. women have been like, no, you have to arrest him. If you don't, he's going to kill me. And then what happens a couple days later? She's dead that's because right. the cops didn't take action. They really couldn't take action, I guess, sometimes. Because in a lot of times with these cases, like domestic abuse cases, you know, cops aren't going to be able to do anything until it, something actually happens. And that's why a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't go to jail for a lot of things because, you know, they may be threatening, but they didn't actually do anything yet. So, you know, they don't, they, they can't really do, their hands are kind of tied. Right. You got to have some probable cause mm -hmm. or, you know, anyway. So I said we'd get to number two, right? Mm -hmm. Well, on April 25th, 1980, Ernest Bowen Camp, who went by Bo, he owned a local general store in town. Ken's daughter, who was like eight or nine at the time, was asked to return some unpaid candy to the shelf. This led to Ken stalking Bowen, the Bowen Camp family for months. Um, it seems like a little bit later, so July 8th, same year, 1980, Ken is still fucking stewing over this candy. He's so mad about this that he drove up behind the store when Bo came out, I guess taking some trash out or whatever. Ken totally just started blasting on him and in, he shot him in the neck with a shotgun. Jesus. Uh, Bo actually lived to tell what happened and Ken was brought up on charges of attempted murder. Finally. Uh, he got a court date of August 18th, 1980, so like just a little more than a month away from when it happened. And of course, true to his barbarish ways, Ken tried to intimidate Bo and the other people, uh, witnesses that may have seen, uh, or just his family in general. Mm -hmm. Bo's wife states, quote, you can't know how intimidating it was after that. Before his trial, he'd drive up to our house in his pickup at night and just sit there. Sometimes he would fire his gun. It was frightening, end quote. Creepy AF. This is a guy who, uh, like, he obviously doesn't have a job. So it's like, how in the hell is he, like, I mean, is he paying bills off of this stolen alcohol and antique money? Or, you know, how in the fuck is this guy I paying no bills clue. if he's busy outside these people's houses all the time. Maybe he steals money too. I don't know. Well, his attempted murder trial was put off till June 25th, 1981. Uh, the former prosecuting attorney resigned for what reason it wasn't said. I couldn't find it. I'm sure the answers are out there, but I couldn't find it. But I'm sure we can all guess why he didn't want to be a prosecuting attorney against Ken Rex McElroy. Mm -hmm. No one wanted to be the one who threw the book at this guy and it not stick because you're just going to be another name on Ken's shit list at this point. 
So the new prosecuting attorney, young guy named David Baird, was successful in getting Ken convicted of second degree assault, which at the max is only two years. He only got that conviction because he reduced the charges from attempted murder uh, to knowingly caused serious physical injury, um, which he knew he had proof of that and he could actually get a solid conviction. Right. So um, during his trial, Ken said, and I quote, the jury convicted me and they gave me two years, but I'll tell you what, I'll never go to jail. I'll appeal and get off. I've been fighting the law since I was 13 and I'm damn near 50. I've been arrested over 53 felonies and this is the first one I've ever lost, end quote. Lord. Right. This guy is like... He's a piece of work. Like, I mean, what... I really have to think this is like a head in the head injury from the trap from the construction job. This, because how can this person just be so fucking mean and a bully this whole time and it just not be exhausting? Uh, maybe some people are like that though. You know, we like just some. I, I've like, like technically like a, a family member that I've known a long time. She was like that too. She was just a, like an evil old woman. I, I don't get it. I think that for people like that, happiness, when they experience happiness, that is pain to them. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it's just an unknown feeling and, well, who knows? I, I, I'm glad I don't know. No, same here. So shortly after being released, he's hanging out at a local tavern with a rifle and a bayonet and he's talking about killing Bo Bowencamp. Of course, he's arrested for violating bail provisions of being in possession of a firearm, but of course, he was released hours later. Uh, this arrest makes for another court delay until July 20th, 1981. So, it, man, it seems like nobody wants to, not even this new guy kind of wants to do it. No. Well, the morning of July 10th, 1981, there was a town meeting at Legion Hall. Many of the residents were in attendance as well as the sheriff and the mayor. And this was a meeting about what the town can do to avoid anyone else getting hurt by Ken. Uh, there was ideas, uh, there was ideas as to what to do, but everyone knew these would be futile efforts. Uh, like the sheriff at one point was talking about, let's get a neighborhood watch going. And it's like, what's a neighborhood watch going to do? They're just going to like be, oh, Ken's here. Well, what are we going to do about it? Nothing we can do about it. Right. So um, futile efforts. Okay. One town person was quoted as saying, we simply felt that the system had failed us. We all knew what McElroy was like. And there he was again and again. It seemed like nobody could stop him. Uh, I'll wholeheartedly agree with that. He's been fighting this for like 40 something fucking years and still nothing stick. He's like a true Teflon Don on this mm -hmm. one. Yep. Well, it was true. He had been fighting the law for 40 something years. He's had 53 charges brought against him and there's no real type of long-term conviction. Uh, than uh, what they had hoped. So, I mean, yeah, even though he may have gotten two years, he's looking at two years, what's two fucking years to this guy? Nothing. That's time to stew and plan. Uh -huh. And, yeah. So, as the meeting continues at the Legion Hall, K 
Ken and Trina went to the D&G Tavern just down the street from the Legion meeting. Uh, it was at this point when the residents walked down to the tavern. We're talking like 45 to 60 people. Ken and Trina finished their drinks and get back into their truck. At this point, residents surround the pickup truck. Trina said that she looked over her shoulder and saw a rifle. She didn't see anybody like who it was, but she did see a rifle. Um, I lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I just lost my place. <laughs> Sorry, technical difficulties happen to the best of us. Okay, she sees a rifle pointed at the back of Ken's head. Then shots were fired. She then dove out of, like, this is all going on very quick. So, like, she turns, pop, pop, she dives out of the truck, and more fucking shots are fired. Uh, different guns from different directions fire on Ken, killing him. Um, like I said, multiple shots, but only two were fatal. One from a center fire rifle, and the other was a 22 rim fire rifle. Immediately, police begin their investigation, but despite there being like 45 to 60 people, depend on who you talk mm -hmm. to is how many people were there, um, only Trina came forward to say what they saw. Trina points her finger at one suspect, co-owner of the D&G Tavern, Dale Clement. Dale, of course, denies the accusations since he, uh, and since there was no other witnesses, there was no charges brought up against Dale and the DA didn't pursue any. So once again, we've got 30 to 60 people. Sorry, now the numbers change. Sorry, 45 <laughs> to 60 people. In three to four minutes? Yes, and um, <laughs> nobody saw a damn thing, but we have tons of guns fired. We've got bullets and heads. G you know, uh, anyway, let me finish this and we'll get into our personal opinions. Well, Dale would end up passing away in 2009, still denying that he had anything to do with Ken's murder. So local police's investigation went nowhere. The FBI now steps in, which led to three grand juries hearing the case, but no one was ever brought to justice. Uh, in July of 1984, Trina went on to file a $6 million lawsuit against Dale Clement, the Mayor Steve Peters, Nottaway County, the Town of Skidmore, and Sheriff at the time, Danny Estes. Uh, when it was all said and done, wow, I don't know how you go from $6 million, she won a little more than $17,000. Hmm. She eventually left Skidmore, and she, oh, um, I did some looking into her. Um, she did go on to get remarried, um, but she did pass away from cancer hmm. on her birthday. That sucks. Right, Awful. like when, uh, so part of my visual aids that I put on my Instagram and Facebook page, uh, I do have a copy of her headstone, and yeah, she was born and died on the same day. It's like, damn, that's... that's awful. Yeah, yeah. Way to go in and out. Uh, she was 55. Um, I did, okay, so this is how I know she got remarried. Uh, I saw on her tombstone that after the... Her name was Trina McLeod was her main name. McElroy was her married name to Ken. Well, then after that, she had Williams. And I 
looked at her picture of her older and honestly, I think this marriage to Mr. Williams was much better because she she just looked happy in that picture. Mm -hmm. I know that pictures don't tell everything, but she had a genuine smile, it looked like. Right, like sometimes you can tell when people are genuinely happy. So um, after this all goes down and there's police investigation and Trina moves away, blah, 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 this would be a big cause of people moving away and the population just becoming more of a ghost town over time there. Businesses started closing and uh, now it's just a small town with an even bigger reputation. So that was kind of the case of Ken Rex McElroy. Let's get his personal thoughts here. What do you think, Charming Amy? Um, the further I have two thoughts you're going to laugh at. One is I was thinking Lori Strode must have strolled her butt into town and said, evil dies tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is we're talking about this story is the song um, Earl's Gotta Die by the Dixie Chicks was running through my head. <laughs> so, so I was like, man, he just needs a, a, some, a like a wife to come in and feed him some poison beans and nobody ain't gonna miss that man. <laughs> Geese take him away. So, I mean, all in all, I think that what the, what happened was just kind of like like frontier justice. Like I don't want to go advocating vigilante justice, no. but I can't say that I blame these people. No, I would if I was in that town and that happened at that point in time, I would not know nothing at all. I would be like I have no like, clue what no, happened. I wasn't even in town that day. No. I was at home in bed sleeping in. Mhm. Yeah, um once again, you can <sighs> I mean, these people were like that proverbial dog backed in a corner, and they just fucking had enough. This guy was shooting people, raping mm -hmm. people, stealing from people, and it's like, if the cops can't do anything, and that one guy who said the system failed us, that is the understatement of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you'd, I'd feel pretty helpless if you had, you were lived in a town that literally was taken over by some jackhole. Uh, did you know that the movie Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze, Sam Elliott, is loosely based off of huh. this case? Fascinating. Yes, because uh, if you uh, notice the guy in the movie, he basically does him and his goons. Mm -hmm. They bully this fucking town. Mm -hmm. He gets fucking killed. Nobody sees it. Oh, sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen Roadhouse. <laughs> 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 but yeah, like... 10 however many people fucking open fire on him no i didn't see nothing you see no, anything i did not see a damn thing so if you want kind of a little patrick swayze modern day twist on the ken rex mcelroy story check out roadhouse if you haven't already so this brings us to our next case uh in the same town this is the case of wendy gillenwater um I didn't get a whole lot of information on this. I just basically, everything I could find is just about the crime and a little bit of the trial and the outcome and everything. I couldn't really find any backstory on this couple. So, I, but it's crazy um, mm -hmm. as fuck. So, um, I went through numerous articles to find a little history of the couple, but could only find stories about the October 16th incident. Uh, Wendy Gillenwater and Greg, I'm going to pronounce this name Dragoo. <laughs> it's D-R-A-G-O-O. -O. Dragoo. That's, that's like, okay. 
Sounds like something you put on spaghetti. Um, so they were residents of Skidmore and had been seeing each other. I'm not sure how long they were seeing each other. So on October 16th, 2000, when I first read the story, it said that she had been, quote, stomped to death. Jesus. But upon further reading, Greg had not just beaten her down. He then dragged her behind his car down several county back roads. And then as he gets to in front of her house, he fucking cuts the rope and just leaves her a bloody fucking mess in front of her house. Holy crap. Uh, yeah. Um, so, however, she didn't die right away. From her heinous assault she passed away hours later at a nearby hospital hmm. so he was originally charged with assault but um when her autopsy came back just revealing the brutality of her attack um the charges were upped of course and then she did die so it goes from assault to murder uh right. he got life in fucking prison as, which is good as he deserved if you fucking drag somebody behind your car you have time to stop you have time to think about this this isn't like a gunshot where it's so fast that right. it's like oh shit i made a mistake this is i tied a rope to my car we drove around for however long this is fucking That's, psycho everything is intentional um, when looking for a photo of Wendy, I saw that her father, Randy, had passed away in 2020, and then her mother, Sandra, who I noticed her maiden name is Stennett, mm. which we're going to be getting into the Stennett family here next. Well, I mean, is a town of however many people? Like 250, right. and there are a lot of Stennetts in this uh -huh. town, so I'm guessing maybe she was like a cousin. Probably. Um, she died just a few months later in January of this year. So I think maybe when I see couples that kind of die close together like that, I usually think it's like heartache that right. takes the second one. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that they got to see justice for their daughter before their passings. Um, and I'm sure they're all together in the afterlife now. I, which I so. that's a horrible story um it's awful i'm glad he got life i personally think he should have got the fucking death penalty because it's like who who drags somebody like that and like who stomps uh, that is like what I, the hell like, did she do like how angry and how demented could you be to like put that much torture onto somebody yeah this is uh, he was beyond demented fuck this guy no kidding so the next case comes, let's see, like a year later, uh, not even a year later. And it is a cousin of the Stennett's. So we have the mom that has the Stennett name in the last case. Now we're getting to a guy named Branson Perry, who is the cousin of the next case we're going to discuss after huh. Branson's. So, um, so, okay, this case... As I'm reading this, it left me scared and dumbfounded when I was done reading this. Uh, and I read different articles, and all of them say pretty much the same thing. Um, but the day that Branson went missing, his dad was uh, returning home from a hospital stay. Um, Branson and a female friend of his, Gina, were cleaning up the house. 
there were two guys, uh, I assume friends, something like that, mm-hmm. but they were in the driveway working on a car. So they're like house driveway. We all know like that's very close together. Somebody uh-huh. leaves the house. They're going to see the people in the driveway, vice versa. Right. So, um, the two guys, they're doing that. Um, once again, I lost my pay my place. <laughs> okay. So they're working on that. And, um, there is a detached garage from this house. So Brandon, uh, sorry, Branson steps out to the detached garage to put some jumper cables away. He tells Gina, it's like, Hey, I'm just going to go put these away. I'll be back two seconds. Uh, yeah. Two seconds turns into never seen again. None of the people on the property, Gina, the two dudes working on the car, neighbors, anyone in town, nobody saw a damn thing again. However, I don't think this is this this is like the same silence that, you know, this is just right, this nobody is... really saw anything this time. Creepy. Um, so many of the articles kept saying it was like he vanished into thin air. Uh, and that seems to be the case. I mean, there were three people in full view of this guy and here today, gone tomorrow. That is odd. Something else is there have been absolutely no clues, no leads, a search party to find nothing. There is nothing. However, um, I mentioned he was putting jumper cables away when he went missing. Those weren't found on the day that he went missing, but they did miraculously turn up in plain sight on the property two weeks later. Okay. Yeah, I think somebody came back to... Like, you know what? I don't need these jumper cables. You can have them back. Whatever. Or maybe it's some kind of clue, some kind of sign, something. But it's like, you know it's a setup. When you have searched that, it's all clean. And then two weeks later, they're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Police questioned over 100 people. But all that's left are just theories of the who's and why's. His, okay, now we're going to kind of get into the who's and why's. Uh, his friend Gina admitted they had been using drugs. She didn't specify. I didn't read what they were doing, but they were doing drugs. And he might have gone into debt with a dealer. Hmm. Uh, theory number two is his dad told police that Branson was, and I quote this, violated by a neighbor shortly before the disappearance. The neighbor, his name is Jason Bierman, he drugged him and assaulted him. So his dad speculates that maybe he left out of shame and humiliation. But I would like to think if that happened, he would at least left a note like, Dad, I love you. I'm sorry I can't stay here, but I just have too much shame. I gotta, I gotta bounce. Yeah, I'm a little kind of dumbfounded right now. Like, Right, I'm dumbfounded at these theories, and we're not even done with these theories, but I'm scared because it's like, this is a small town. There were, once again, three people in plain view of this guy, and there's not a damn thing, not even a fucking hair. Right. I grew that up is in a scary. Town, I grew up in a town of 500 people. And you know, everybody and knows everybody. Everybody but... knows your business. Yep. Everybody, you know, the neighbors know everything that's going on. You you can't like, 
you can't do a sniff your own butt without people knowing it in those towns. So the final theory, and I think this one's the most plausible. There's some, some might say coincidental things in this, but I don't know, man. There's sometimes I don't believe in coincidence, and this is one of them. But the final theory involves a minister slash Boy Scout leader named Jack Wayne Roberts. Um, I couldn't make this next part up if I wanted to, but he was arrested in April of 2003. <laughs> Hold on, man. I got to get myself together. <laughs> oh, no. So um, he was arrested in April 2003 for botching an amateur sex reassignment surgery on another individual in a fucking hotel room. What? Um yeah uh in a hotel room so another article gave the details about the surgery because i had to go looking for that i was like hold on man a sex change in a hotel room like i can't make this up so (laughs) i'm just picturing this in my head you're a girl now so um (laughs) the article that gave details and i quote again because i i couldn't find any other words to paraphrase this or make it sound not so horrible but it was quote he removed a trans woman's genitals in a makeshift gender reassignment surgery in a hotel in columbia missouri end quote jesus christ i just wonder what how okay so the trans woman comes to him or did he approach the trans woman going, oh, I can help you with that. I, I couldn't I help but overhear you. that you wanted to get a sexual reassignment to actually become a full-fledged woman, anatomically a woman. Uh, right. I can right. help you with that for a low price of such and such dollars. Meet me at this. No. I, like, I, you know, I understand that people, you know, people have body dysphoria, you know, and really, you know, struggle with you know, their identity and, and their physical body and stuff like that, that might be desperate to, to try to do something to change it. But in my, my, even in my right mind, to be like, you know what? Having my shit cut off in a hotel room for $200, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I am not, we are not downplaying the plight of this, no, of this a, no. victim. No, not by um, any means. I, if honestly... Ooh, it's probably a good thing this person did pass away because it sounds like all of this was very brutal and oh, oh my god this poor person no kidding the suffering they went through just mentally and physically yeah, yeah. um so hopefully they find peace in the afterlife that they didn't get in this one because that death Man, he needs to be fucking cut up for some shit like no that. No kidding. Because he had to have known, oh, yeah, this person's going to fucking die. Because I don't know. He's a Boy Scout leader slash minister. He doesn't know, you know the first thing about... I all bet, because you're an Eagle Scout doesn't mean you know sex reassignment surgery. Right. You may know how to do some sutures, but that's about the extent right. of you being a fucking right. doctor. I mean, I would trust you to maybe, you know, cut up, a, you know, you know, fix a wound out in the field. But I ain't, you know, <laughs> right. I, I'm not letting you cut my, my junk off here. <laughs> so his computer ended up being seized and was filled with child porn oh. and stories of extreme sexual assault. Oh, gosh. Um enter some coincidences some might say or 
I don't know, man. I'm not saying this is coincidence. This is too fucking weird. But in one of the stories involves a young man that actually fit Perry's description. And during the search of his home, there was a necklace that was believed to be Branson's necklace. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had been uh, the preacher slash Eagle Scout dude. Uh, he had been overheard bragging about killing Branson and burying the body in the Ozarks, but of course later he recanted. So there was nothing that was concrete to connect him to the um, to Branson's disappearance, besides some eerie parallels. He did receive 17 years for assault on the woman, seven years for performing an illegal is- surgery, and wow. 30 years for child porn. Jesus. You think he would have got 30 years for the fucking like, assault and right, surgery like, part. you know, butchering a poor human being who's suffering in the first place. Seriously. So I'm hoping that he just gets brutalized in prison every day until he dies. Mm. Sounds like a slip and fall to me, but... Mm-hmm. Anyway, in 2009, the police received a tip which led to a two-day excavation in Quitman, Missouri, but they didn't find anything. Uh, As of April 2021, the most recent article I could find, the police, the town folk, no one still knows nothing. The case remains open. Um, The unfortunate, more unfortunate part of this story is Branson's parents both passed away without knowing what happened to their son. Mm. His father, Bob, died in 2004, and his mother, Rebecca, passed away in 2011. She was... This part's a little hard. She was laid to rest next to an empty plot for Branson. That's awful. Yeah. So... You know what, though? What kind of brings me a little comfort is... For me personally, I like to believe that when you die, you get the answers to the things you wanted to know in life. So I really feel like they are with Branson, but Mm -hmm. they finally got to know. I mean, so Mm -hmm. granted, all of us would like to know here on Earth, but I feel like they got their answers. And have some solace in death. Yeah. Which brings us to Branson's cousin, and the biggest part of this is the case of Bobby Joe Stennett and Lisa Montgomery. Oh, these two. This is a crazy case. Right. Like, um, wow. I remember when this story broke and watching it on the news. And so I remember this vividly from that time. But then I kind of thought, oh, I know all there is to know about this case. This case is going to be cake. And this is the case where I was challenged by one of our listeners. Um, So basically, with the Wesley Perky case, he committed heinous murders. He got the death penalty, gets Alzheimer's. Should they execute a person with Alzheimer's? Or I should I say, in this case, should they execute somebody with mental illness? Which we will get into that after the case details. And uh, I will answer that if I have, like, the same feelings about this execution as opposed to Wesley Perkey's because they are both mentally ill, granted different illnesses, but nonetheless. So, cousin to the missing person, Branson Perry, is Bobby Joe Stennett. And 
things were just great for Bobby Joe at this point in her life. She was 23. She was newly married, about almost two years, right around there. I still consider that newly married. Pretty much. And she was eight months pregnant with her first child. So she was just on cloud nine. Well, her and her husband had a dog breeding small business that they ran out of their house called Happy Haven Rat Terriers. (laughs) And they did uh, breeding. And if you wanted to buy purebreds, show dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, that's high dollar shit. Yep. So... Um, why she's living her life being pregnant and loving dogs, 175 miles south of Skidmore is Melvern, Kansas. Um, this is where 36-year-old Lisa Montgomery, mother of four, and was, I'm putting up air quotes, uh, pregnant with her fifth child. Or so she was perpetrating through a series of faked symptoms. We'll get into that. Yep. So, um, both of these ladies, their paths would cross in a dog chat room called Ratter Chatter. Um, Ratter Chatter. That's kind of, that's, <laughs> it's I don't It's catchy and kind of fun. I it's mean, like if Ratter Chatter. I mean, if, like, you know, French Bulldog people are kind of obsessed with our French Bulldogs. I can see the same thing with Rat Terriers and a quirky little, you know, chat Well, in addition to lying about pregnancy, she's also lying about her identity in this chat room going by the name of Darlene Fisher. I'm going to kind of do the Lisa Darlene naming when I get to it. But okay, over many online conversations, Lisa slash Darlene would tell Bobby Joe that she was interested in buying a terrier and she shares, I'm pregnant too. Eventually, after earning Bobby Joe's trust over a bunch of emails and all this stuff, you know, just talking about their pregnancy, sharing feelings, mm-hmm. just really kind of bonding online, um, Lisa slash Darlene arranges a time, uh, Bobby Joe arranges a time for Lisa to come out to Bobby's house to possibly buy a, what I quote here, show quality rat terrier puppies. Uh, they decided to do it on December 16th, 2004. Lisa Darlene gets to Bobby's house. She enters the Stennett home and immediately gets a rope out and strangles Bobby Joe. She... Bobby Joe is laying on the ground. Um, we'll get into the mm. logistics if she was dead or not here in a second. But yeah. she then grabs a, a kitchen knife and proceeds to cut the baby out of her. She immediately afterwards jumps in her fucking car and hightails it back to Melvern. She, on her way back, stops in Topeka at a Long John Silver's yeah I that, caught, that part caught my i'm like like dude long john silver did she of all stop places? to eat or did she just make the call in the I, parking I, lot I don't, i'm like like my i'd be calling my 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 i'd be calling my partner you know from a long john silver saying i just had a baby well she calls home to her husband kevin her current husband right. kevin and said that she was out having a day of shopping went into labor had the baby but she is now on her way home with the baby 
From a Long John Silver's parking lot. Well, I don't know if he knew she was at the Long John <laughs> so- <laughs> It's just the logic behind that. <laughs> so, uh, might I add that when we kind of crack jokes, we're not like demeaning or taking no. away from the victims whatsoever, but it's just the logic of the attackers that it's like, oh my God. I, it- I don't get that. But okay. Okay. So anyway, she's like, hey, Kevin, I was out shopping all day, went into labor, didn't bother to fucking call you being pregnant with your kid. And I had the baby. I'm on my way home. Uh, So she's making her way back to uh, why she's making her way back to Melbourne, Kansas. Bobby's mom, Becky Harper, goes over to Bobby's house and would discover her daughter, horribly murdered on the floor and she immediately calls 911. This uh, next part, it's going to get a little graphic and um, I'm going to do direct quotes from the 911 dispatch call, but she tells 911, quote, she is laying on the floor with blood everywhere. The dispatcher, dispatcher asked, what happens? She says, she was pregnant and it's like her guts have exploded or something. Mm. So shortly before the baby was found, um, Sheriff Espy held a news conference in which he said more than likely our victim had been strangled and was probably deceased when the child was removed from the womb. Probably. Probably. That means there they, that there's a, there's we, uh, no confirmation that she was dead or alive when that child was pulled from her womb. I hope for her sake she was, I mean, she was unconscious, it sounds like. So as horrible as this is, I'm glad that she wasn't, like, say, tied up and fully awake and aware right. for what happened to her. Right. So Lisa gets back to Melvern and her current husband, Kevin, they're showing off the baby. They're celebrating and happy about the birth of Lisa's fifth child, a beautiful baby girl. But the celebrating and happiness is short-lived. Police tracked Lisa down fast. Um, they had a vehicle description. Uh, the police are tipped off quickly about a red Honda that was in a driveway in Kansas well, they knew there was a red Honda at the Stennett house. Mm-hmm. So with the help of Congressman Sam Graves, which I met him once at an Olive Garden a few years ago. Nice guy. Hmm. Um, of course, he's supposed to be nice. He's a public figure. He can't go, leave me the fuck alone. I'm trying to eat my soup and salad. <laughs> so anyway, Sheriff SB. So, okay, this is kind of important. So Sheriff SB wanted to send out an Amber Alert for the baby. But the baby, they didn't fit the criteria to send out an Amber Alert because they didn't know any description of the baby. Right. So Sam Graves fucking pulls some strings and gets Sheriff Espy's Amber Alert issued. Uh, From there, they also factor in that there was no forced entry. So the killer may have lied about wanting to see some dogs. Then the FBI gets a tip from somebody who's in that same message board as Bobby Joe and reported a Darlene Fisher. Mm-hmm. So the feds check the IP address and bam, that just, she's done. Yep. They got Lisa Montgomery with a red Honda. So when police arrive at her house, they find Lisa sitting on the couch 
holding the baby, watching TV as the Amber Alert scrolled at the bottom of the TV. Yep. Uh, they apprehend her. The baby girl was taken in, taken into custody. They took her to the hospital for a good once over to make sure she was unharmed. And she was promptly returned to her father, Zeb. And her name is Victoria. Her middle name is Joe, I'm sure, after her mom. Of course. Which... It makes sense. Oh, this poor girl. She'll be a little... Uh, she will be 17 here in more than a little more than a month from us recording this so because obviously her birthday is that day. day yeah well lisa was charged with kidnapping resulting in death and prosecutors are seeking the fucking death penalty so they now have her in custody as i said she totally admits to strangling her cutting the baby from her and lying to her current husband Kevin that she was pregnant and gave birth to that baby girl this is where shit starts getting well I mean shit's already local loco at this point but this is where it's like really really uh -huh. so her ex-husband which I couldn't find his name but he testified also that Lisa had a history about lying about being pregnant and that she had her tubes tied in 1990. Yep. Uh, so her fourth child uh, was two months premature. So she had her tubes tied on the advice of her doctor because like maybe since that baby was kind of high risk, they felt she was getting older. Her fifth kid, it'd be a lot more dangerous. Let's right. just tie your tubes and call it a day. Yep. And that was in 1990, might I add again. So... <clears throat> pardon me uh where i left off on uh so anyway her current husband also testified that he had nothing to do with the killing of bobby joe and also said that she lied about pregnancies <laughs> the first one she said she had an abortion in new mexico then the second time she got pregnant by kevin there was something wrong with it so she had she donated it to science Okay. Um, he I, he he did he believed her at both times. Um, that is he, a very compassionate man. That's all. I naive or, or compassionate both. Right. I, I I don't know. He he believed it, but I mean, I don't know. I, I question that shit. It's like you went from Melbourne, Kansas, to New Mexico to have an abortion. Okay, what? It's like, how fucking quick did you get that done? No shit. I'm wondering, so those two lies, were they supposed to be his kids? I assumed, like, she's telling him, like, babe, I'm pregnant with your kid, mm -hmm. but I had an abortion in New Mexico. And then the second, babe, I'm pregnant again, but there was something wrong, so I donated it to science. Or was it just some fabricated bullshit she said happened before he came along. I, from my research, I understand that, that he understood that they were his. Okay. Okay. So we'll just go with that. Either way, whether they're his fucking kids or some other dude's fucking kids, there's no kids and she's lying. So, uh, October 25th of 2007, she is found guilty and convicted, but... Her attorney argues different mental illnesses from her rough childhood of repeated sexual abuse by her stepdad 
male babysitter and friend, uh, friends of her stepdad and even her own mother. This is fucked up. Her own mother selling her for mm-hmm. home improvement services. Yep. So like if the toilet, you know, shit the bed, she'd p- call the plumber. You're like, hey. Oh, I ain't got $500 to pay you, but here's my, you know, 10-year-old whatever daughter. <sighs> That's disgusting. Yeah. All these people need to be taken out and fucking shot. Ugh. Um, so, and all of this started at the age of three. And the cruel treatment she received from her mother... Uh, from getting beat on a regular basis that caused brain damage to her mom would pull guns on her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She, of course, began drinking to forget her life. Can't say that I blame her on that one. Right. If you're stuck in hell, what else do you have? And, of course, she's grown up with a pattern of abuse, so she gets married kind of young. He's fucking abusive, too. So she... um, And they also argue, and I didn't look up, I usually uh, look up how to pronounce words, but she, they argue that she suffers from a condition called pseudocysis? Pseudocysis. I think that's correct. Okay. Which is a mental condition that causes a woman to believe that she is pregnant. You know, I saw on an episode of CSI one time where, now granted it's TV, but I mean, that shit's all based off mm-hmm. of, you know, reality, but there was this girl who, uh, she wanted to be pregnant so bad that her body started like lactating uh-huh. and like went to the symptoms and it's like, damn. Yeah. I mean, humans and I'm, I mean, there's instances of dogs even having what they call phantom pregnancies. You know, I, I, I'm fully capable of understanding that, you know, humans can go through the same thing, too, if you know mental conditions. and That just goes to show the mind over matter for real. No kidding. Like, in the conversation on the CSI show, there's, like, she's getting kind of upset and she starts just lactating through her shirt. Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of taken back by it in this interrogation. So, I mean... I'm thinking that, you know, she kind of had this minus the lactation, but uh, no matter what they fucking argued, the jury was not convinced, and she was sentenced to death on October 26, 2007. Of course, like every prisoner, she has an appeal process, so throughout her appeal process, she was appointed new representation and it was argued that her abusive childhood and brain damage led to what happened and that her public defender had never tried a capital case. And the other attorney, so she had a, basically a wet behind the ears public attorney and then this other guy named Fred du- Duhart, Dushart, whatever, <laughs> fucking douche. Whatever. Uh, he had more of his clients put to death than he saved. He had more, uh, like... More ex- I'd be hiring a, an attorney that'd be like has that kind of track record. Right, he has more executed death victims uh, than any other defense attorney in the country. Yikes! Maybe he needs to think about a career change. Yeah, he needs. To, I would rather work at McDonald's than have that kind of track record. Even though McDonald's workers, I'm not going to disparage them. They're still workers. So we're going to get a little political here and I'm not coming here for that. So we're just going to kind of leave it at the facts of this and move on from this part. But in late 2020, after a 17 year pause on federal executions, president at the time, Donald Trump ordered them to start again. 
Trump started federal uh, executions again would make him the president that has executed the most death row inmates, overseeing 13 executions since July 2020. And of course, A.G. Barr, he defends this by stating, and I quote, the Justice Department is simply upholding existing law, end quote. You know who else was following the law? I'm not going to finish that because that's a joke. Sorry. <laughs> Nazis. <laughs> Little clerk's reference there. but So basically, they hadn't been executing anybody. And Donald Trump came along and was like, we're going to start this up again. Executions on the state level had been happening, but nobody federally. So uh, January of this year, 2021, an Indiana judge halted the execution until a mental competency hearing could happen, proving that she was too mentally ill to be executed. Well, the Supreme Court ruled against that and, and all of their legal findings uh, that she was too mentally ill. Um, yeah. Mm. So two days later on January 13th, Lisa had no last words. She was executed by means of lethal injection and she was 52 years old. She, uh, was the only female inmate on death row at the time, but the third to be executed by the federal government. Which got me curious. It's like, who were the other two and what did they do? So I did find that out. The first woman to be executed by the federal government was Mary Surratt, or Surratt, however you want to pronounce it. She was hung on July 7th, 1865, for taking part in a conspiracy to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Then, fast forward all the way to 1953... With Bonnie Brown Hetty, she was, um, uh, oh God, what is that? Uh, the fucking gas chamber. Right. She got the gas chamber December 18th, 1953 for the murder of Bobby Greenlease at the Missouri State Penitentiary, which I took that tour a couple years back. First of all, I highly recommend it. Totally worth the price of admission. You get from the front gate to the gas chamber. Wow. And when you get to the gas chamber building, there's a picture of all the people that had been executed in that gas chamber. And all of them are men except for um, Bonnie, Bonnie Brown Hedy. Her picture is up there, too. Huh. And there was another man that was with her, the man and some other guy, I can't remember his name, but he kidnapped Bobby with her. Hmm. And then now we get to the third one is Lisa Montgomery. So there are the details. What is your expertise on this? Because I have a feeling we're going to differ, but I'm interested in hearing what you say because, uh, you, you've got some education in places that I don't. So let's hear it. Okay, so I'm going to start off with under, trying to give a little bit of background and understanding what, you know, a, a, a childhood like that would do to somebody. Um, you know, fundamentally, you know, abuse and trauma like that changes the body, the, the chemical, like the whole function and shape and chemistry of the brain. It, it it impacts somebody to where you know they 
their decision making skills and their understanding of possibly you know moral their moral compass things like that might be slightly different than somebody who didn't experience you know these types of things who grew up in a loving household you know with loving parents and they're actually just now like scratching the surface yes. of CTE mm-hmm. after the whole Chris Benoit thing. But you talked about like their decision making, their moral compass. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the Chris Benoit case. That guy had been taking fucking headshots uh, with chairs for years. And, you know, he brutally kills his family, then himself. And when they started doing, you know, the autopsy, his brain was sent to a, you know, brain specialist. And they saw he basically, at his age of 30-something, maybe early Mm -hmm. 40s, I don't know how old he was, but he had the brains of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. So, I mean, I totally believe that, you know, that kind of abuse does... It 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 changes you as a person. It, like, literal, like, changes your brain, you know... In different ways than you know normal 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 childhood and adolescence would um you know for as a compare it's like as a case comparison um i was i read about that um she had a half sister that was taken from the environment that she they grew up in the half sister was then adopted by a very loving couple i think one of the the father was a teacher and this uh, the half sister turned out to be a you know, a functional coping human being without in this world. Um, she, you know, nonetheless, she still had issues being able to, you know, to cope with the trauma and to deal with the things that she experienced along with her half sister. But um, the, there was no intervention there for uh, Lisa Montgomery as a child, you know, to be able to escape this environment. And so the difference between her and her half sister is, is stark and striking when you look at it, at it from a child development perspective. That, you know, when you put a child into a loving home that they, they, they're not going to experience the same things as and their brain changes aren't going to happen, you know, to somebody who grows up in a fundamentally abusive, nasty, horrible home like Lisa grew up in. And I'm a behaviorist as well. I believe that people are products of their environment. Absolutely. If you give somebody a harmonious, loving environment, they're going to grow up to be, you know, a fairly normal person or whatever we consider to be normal. A functioning human being in society. Right, but somebody like Lisa who was pimped out for plumbing services, I can see her decision making and moral compass not exactly being the best exactly and and just to 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 kind of go a little further with that um i will say that my next point is about the fact that you know mental illness i understand everybody at some point in some way somehow suffers from mental illness and there are a lot of people in this world and some people that i know personally that have suffered extreme childhood trauma to grow up to be kind of functioning people some of the people that i do know that that suffered you know abuse neglect um you know i god only knows what else these children went through because i would didn't i didn't know the whole story but i know the some of the crap that they did go through that that completely changed their adulthood and now these people as adults 
they 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 don't murder you know they they don't do any of these heinous acts you know that lisa montgomery did even though they still need assistance as adults you know to to help them you know do laundry or organize their life or help them make decisions you know manage their money things like that you know that kind of abuse that level of abuse causes that you know kind of inability to be able to function in in adulthood however that doesn't necessarily mean that these type of people who are raised in those environments are going to automatically kill somebody that, right. that doesn't determine you know abuse doesn't necessarily determine you know that somebody's going to be a murderer like vice versa you know there are murderers out there there's serial killers out there who had, perfectly had great lives childhoods yeah. and they grew up and they're psychopaths and murdered 13 people you know um so i kind of am still of the same mind with her that i am with wesley perky about i think that they got what they deserved um they did horrible heinous things and not to downplay the plight of lisa montgomery because this is a horrible life and i'm surprised she didn't fucking like kill herself right like just from the ptsd and Mm -hmm. just every the way that loving trusted people treated her i would think if this is love and trust fuck this i'm out right but the thing that takes me out of it completely and still has me on the side of i'm glad they gave her the death penalty was she planned she plotted and she earned trust absolutely it was premeditated and do i believe that she would have loved that say she never got caught would she have loved that baby and taken good care of it yes i believe that baby she would have given the baby the life she never had like she possibly did with her other four kids um it sounds like you know they all kind of turned out i don't want to say they turned out all right but they're all still alive today at this point kind of functioning i think I, i don't know what the status of them is at this point right and i I honestly, I feel sorry for her because of everything that's happened to her. And I would love to say, well, why she could have gotten help. Um, let me tell you something. They put all this fucking emphasis on mental awareness and getting help, but the resources just aren't out there. No. And that's in 2021. Imagine what it was like in 2004. Yeah. And in rural Kansas. I'm sure she probably could have gotten some help somewhere, but just yeah her situ her station in life was limiting but then i it brings me back that one factor of this was all just so premeditated she planned and plotted so methodically mm-hmm. that i just i cannot fucking have sympathy and see and the more i was more on the lines of you know we shouldn't be you know putting people down who have mental illness essentially but in this case you know, where's the line? You know, anybody who does so many types of murder, you know, BTK, he's serving however many life sentences in prison in Kansas. He's not going to get out of prison, but he's not on death row. Now, now she is, you know, such heinous crimes. And I think I, I'm going to remember where I was going with this. <laughs> just, I hate when I lose just, my train of thought. But just saying that, you know, the whole thought of, um, where was I going with this? Anyways, continue what you're saying. Well, um, for me, I just, I can't, I can't have sympathy for her because she planned and plotted. That's right. She took time to earn this person's trust. 
that's sacred when you can like build even online like building a friendship when you work with somebody you're face to face most days out of the week kind of a thing i can see how you can easily earn somebody's trust but to do it online through just a series of catfishing and oh i'm darlene and i'm pregnant too and let's share stories and right. bond and all the while it was a ruse to fucking cut this baby out of this woman i will add a couple other factoids let's hear to it this this story here that when i was watching a youtube video yesterday about this scenario these are unconfirmed but um they did find that there was another woman who come forward um on one of those message boards who said that she um was also contacted by lisa or darlene, darlene. Fisher. yeah either way saying that she was pregnant as well at the same time and so there was a lot of communication between this woman and darlene lisa whatever and then that woman had a miscarriage and at that point in time she completely lost contact with us with lisa and two the other next thing was is that again unconfirmed um but she was preparing she was performing c-sections on her dogs and so oh you know to God. me that you know the tooth all this together again wow indicates extreme premeditation and doing this and so that's why i'm i lean more towards your opinion now of that that of the death penalty was appropriate in her situation for the fact that one she was you know mental illness doesn't mean that you aren't aware of what you're doing right you know i'll be you know i have i suffer from depression and anxiety but i'm fully capable and aware of my own actions and i understand that she had severe mental illnesses and some dissociation but she didn't have a dissociative event and then run and kill her and then come back and had no clue what she did she knew what she was doing right and i mean obviously i mean once again she is mentally ill from all this but she has it seems like she kind of had some aspects of a normal life. She was married. She had kids. Absolutely. She left. She was smart enough or he, you know, I don't know who got divorced in the first marriage, but she went on to find love again. And it sounds like this Kevin guy was a, somewhat of a decent guy. Yeah, I guess. he sounded like he loved Lisa. He believed her shit, you know. So it sounds like she had some aspects of normality. And then she's totally premeditating this. Mm hmm. I just, I can't have sympathy. Now, had Bobby Joe had her baby and she just kind of kidnapped the baby, I don't think she deserved to be put to death for any of that. No. Definitely face some kidnapping charges and some time in jail and you got to stay 100 feet away from all schools maybe, but not the death penalty. Um, however, though, that's not the case and it's this story is just completely horrible so we do have a bit of a palate cleanser i don't know <laughs> i think i'm lying when i say that so when i was researching these four cases uh i was looking through crimes of nottaway county to see if there was like some more details to these four that i might have missed or if maybe there was another case in skidmore that just hadn't been covered so um, this did not happen in Skidmore, but it happened in the county where Skidmore is located. But on November 10th, 1994, William Taylor, a farmer in Nottaway County, uh, had killed his wife, Deborah. You're probably saying, where's this story going? 
Well, I'll tell you. According to Missouri Court of Appeals Western District, the court document states, and I quote, I, I wish I could make this kind of shit up because this is like good story stuff. Uh, not to trivialize anybody's crimes or plight, but quote, the evidence supported a theory that Taylor killed his wife by using the family's cat to lure his wife under a combine and causing the combine to roll over her. But the jury also heard evidence suggesting that Taylor killed his wife uh, before he put her body under the combine. End quote. So, and then I read in an article that Taylor admitted to his brother that he had killed the cat with a hammer and threw it under the combine Lord. to lure his wife under the machine. Then he told his brother that he used twine to pull the lever on the combine to cause it to roll over her when she tried to retrieve the cat. He told his brother that he had moved the combine back from his wife's body, from his wife's body, and hid the twine. Uh, apparently, his motive was he was depressed and believed Deborah wanted a divorce. And um, little odd note on this one: the coroner even examined the cat as evidence <laughs> in this case. <laughs> so. Not Skidmore, but definitely in close proximity of this town, this uh, interesting case of, when I was reading this, all I could think about was that part in Naked Gun when Leslie Nielsen's talking about dying. He's like, getting caught in the gears of Combine. That's how like a real man dies. And that's not the exact quote, but all I could think about was Leslie Nielsen talking about getting caught in the gears of a Combine. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we have to kind of give some of this stuff a little humor so it's just not so heavy. And once again, not to downplay or, you know, make fun of victims, but wow. Yikes. Uh, why couldn't he just been like, babe, what's up? You want to leave me or what? You know, communication is key in a relationship, you know. Well, obviously not to, um, what's his name again? Taylor. <laughs> Apparently combines are his um, love language. Bill Taylor uh, of Nottaway County. So um, I didn't see, I totally didn't even, I, I got through that and totally forgot to write down what like prison sentence or what kind of fucking punishment he got because I was just so wrapped up with this dead cat and the combine and the ball of twine and so yeah um that was the many cases of Skidmore Missouri uh and one additional case of Nottaway County um we were the case that was brought to me the listener request was that of Lisa Montgomery and um once again I I just, I can't have sympathy for Wesley Perky, even though he got Alzheimer's. I can't feel sympathy for her. I feel sympathy for her in the aspect of she was fucking robbed of a good life throughout her early years. Mm -hmm. However, just as I've stated numerous times, that premeditation, that plotting, that earning her trust blows all of that out of the water for me. So I, I... <laughs> Yeah, I think that they both got what they deserved, and I feel like on some level, this hopefully this is justice 
for the families of Wesley Perky's victims, for the Stennett family, or just not even the family, you know, her friends. I'm sure Bobby Joe was, you know, well-loved in town and, you know, because that many people, everybody knows everybody. And I'm sure everybody was just excited for her and her first baby and not now. Well, unfortunately. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of another show. Thank you for the listening, love, and support. If you should have any requests of something you'd like to hear us cover, doesn't necessarily have to be local to Kansas City or Missouri. You can be from anywhere. Uh, how about them new Canadian listeners? Something up there. I, I do know a couple of cases up there, like Paul Bernardo. Um, but anyway, um, and you can catch me. Uh, you can send in... Um, requests and you can see visual aids for each case because for me I like faces to names and you can catch those at housewife of horrors plural uh, and I am on Instagram and Facebook so once again thank you for the listening and um, you guys stay safe stay safe out there if I could learn how to talk today <laughs> so stay safe out there and we'll see you or we'll talk to you next time <laughs>